0: This is Rick Enloe, and I'm here with Dave Hillis on City as Playground. This is episode number three now. We're getting- we, we are veterans. <laughs> we are. Yeah. In fact, now, uh, kind of exciting because right in front of me, right on the table here, is the brand new book, Cities, Playgrounds or Battlegrounds, which is, you know, kind of uh, hyper frames everything that, you know, that you're talking about. I mean, this, that's kind of the the former and future podcasts are foundational to this work but mm-hmm. let's just stop for a second and talk about this because i got to, i'm curious about this a little bit and i know that uh you know for instance i didn't even know that you know your middle name uh, starts with c david c host <laughs> right there on the cover that's for cool, cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah for cool yeah. that's a, but i do want to ask what occasioned you know you deciding to you know uh, even take this project on
1: was uh, as oftentimes is the case, Rick. This uh, the story and the production of this book has um, many elements to it. But the the Reader's Digest version is about uh, three years ago. Uh, my predecessor, Reed Carpenter, who we've talked about a bit in the first two episodes. Um, he was the person who started the first Leadership Foundation in Pittsburgh and then became the president of Leadership Foundations, and I uh, took his place six years ago, Mm -hmm. Um, decided that, uh, you know, 73, 74 years old, to pull a group of us together and say, is there a story to uh, be told about the Leadership Foundations? And uh, it was uh, in the uh, second week in December, uh, when, of course, for nonprofits, we're all a little bit frantic about how we're going to finish here to... Fiscal year, but we flew down there, eight of us, and spent two days with Reed, um, simply asking the question: uh, Should a story be written about leadership foundations? And I think we were all sitting, in many ways, Rick, with the idea that uh, you know the last thing the world needs is one more book. Um, so we tried to discern and and uh, and ask questions. And the result of that two-day meeting in Naples, Florida, of all places, in December was, yes, uh, let's, let's write this book. Uh, the other trigger was that this was in 2011. And 2012, uh, here two years ago, um, was officially the 50th anniversary of the time that Reed Carpenter went up on Mount Washington with Sam Shoemaker. And, of course, that's where the, the famous vision of Pittsburgh becoming as famous for God as it currently is for steel Um, sort of came to read and so leadership foundations we mark our um, you know birth from Mm -hmm. 1962 and so that was another trigger is you know wouldn't this be a good way to celebrate the first 50 years
0: also I I appreciated you recently uh, uh, posted or or, or sent some communication about uh, reflecting on Maya Angelou Mm -hmm. and she you know her statement I'm not going to get it right here but the idea is that you know, it's it's a tragic thing when, when um, an untold story, right? You know, happens, and so I think part of that uh, uh, that would I think for me a, a third element of putting this together is the fact that it's it would have been tragic to, to not tell the story.
1: I think I think that's right, and and there's a particular element about that um, that I think is true. Um, yeah, Maya Angelou's notion of. Um, you know, the absolute tragedy of, of people not being able to tell their story, and and, and and that was a play of leadership foundations. But we also um, recognize, you know, we have 72 uh, local leadership foundations throughout the world, mm-hmm. and we really exist uh, for them. I mean, we, we, you know, we get up in the morning, we go to bed at night to develop, strengthen, and sustain local leadership foundations. So the other element of this book that I'm particularly proud of is that we uh, discovered a publisher who uh, agreed with us that if a local leadership foundation wanted to write their story, um, that they would be willing to publish or create uh, what we call kind of, you know, limited editions for that Mm -hmm. particular city. Um, And so what we now have in this book, uh, and we'll talk a bit more about the chapters, but is the opportunity for a local leadership foundation now to write their story which gets attached to the mainframe of this book and then they can create a custom edition um, and distribute this to tell um, you know the great story of what God has done in their city whether it's New Orleans or Pretoria or Delhi or um, Guatemala which is awesome
0: because really um, everyone's story is nested in another story mm -hmm. and so what a a great idea actually could be kind of uh, you know futuristic I mean if I were a publisher I'd, I'd Start, you know, I'd have a meeting about, you know, talking to other people who want to do this kind of thing because I think it's a, a brilliant idea to get the, the bigger story, mm-hmm. sort of the meta narrative, you know, mm-hmm. and then let everyone find themselves in it mm-hmm. and then use it as a tool. So, yeah, it's great. I,
1: that's very well said. And, you know, one, one of the ideas that sits behind that, that I know we, this podcast is about ideas, but we oftentimes in Leadership Foundations talk about how text, uh, you know, whether it's spoken or written, uh, without context, um, you know, what are the realities that, that, you yeah. know, shape that text, um, ultimately becomes pretext. Mm-hmm. Uh, in other words, a lie. Yeah. And, and so the idea of letting a local leadership foundation, uh, tell her story, um, you know, and it's, it's their context that we have to lift up. And as a result, um, you know, instead of creating pretext, um, we actually now create a kind of uh, message that can be inspiring and encouraging to others, and so so we're, yeah. yeah, we're very excited, and it's well, just great. come out, and I actually like the way it looks, which was yeah, uh, which was quite nice, and yeah. it, so
0: well, I thought about this because uh, recently I had a chance to get a little Greek education, mm-hmm. a little uh, travel to Greece, and they were talking about um, the agora, which is the public space, mm-hmm. and how the even uh, um, Plato and you know Augustine and some of the great philosophers they they. They wanted a place where everyone was welcome. Like they talked about how you know uh, even in back in antiquity, uh, the affluent people only lived in a certain area of town. You know, there was kind of the shanty town across the tracks, all that stuff. And and if there wasn't a place designated, you know, by the polis or the city that was a common place Mm -hmm. or a public place, you'd never even run into anybody. And I think that uh, there's and of course we know that agoraphobic you know, people are, you know, freaked out about public places, public places right? right? But but I think this is sort of the agora of, uh, you know, this movement. You know, it's a place, it's a common place where, you know, where the, the the general platform can be built, but then, like you said, that the, there are uh, local uh, contexts and people that could speak for them, and it becomes like this place where we can all meet. Yeah.
1: I, I'm really actually quite happy that you've described it that way I you know as as the principal author uh, of this book um, you know you come to a a written page with an intent and sometimes you wonder whether or not you have the talent and the skill and even the energy to translate your intent uh, into actual product but from the very beginning uh, the idea was exactly as you described Um, let's have this book um, describe a space um, rather than be a prescription for how to do urban ministry. yeah, um, And, you know, it's it's subtle. And there are some, I hope, pragmatic, practical things that the book lifts up. But it was much more about what you said is is here's a table, you know, as demonstrated in this book. And now people from, you know, what we hope is all around the world can pull a chair up to this book, mm-hmm. to this table, and find their story, and then even contribute their story. Yeah, and well, so,
0: it ties again into what Maya was saying about the tragedy of an untold story. Sometimes, you know, somebody has to tell the, the first story mm-hmm. to avoid the tragedy of all the, the subtext, you know, being mm-hmm. being uh, set up. And so, mm-hmm. I think it's, you know, I guess this is kind of a um, kind of weird, but I think it's good leadership, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> but now let's put these two ideas together because see if I'm right. I might yeah. be wrong on this. But yeah. what I understand is that, you know, your um, your dissertation uh, had a lot to do with, you know, the city as a playground, you know, not a battleground. And then this book is obviously a, a template that, that, you know, covers the 50-year history of the Leadership Foundation. But you kind of put those two ideas together. Yeah, yeah.
1: that's... Yeah, you know, I wish I had a clever way to say, you know, that I was sitting out under the, you know, mango tree and, and was struck by this epiphany. But um, it, it was it was pretty practical, Rick. It was, you know, I obviously did this dissertation. Um, anybody that's <laughs> ever done a dissertation knows that the, you know, the best dissertation is the one that's completed. Mm. And uh, but I think there was a singular idea that surfaced um, in my dissertation that I'm most proud of. And that was this idea that the leadership foundations have a particular gift or charism, we've called it, uh, and it's that they see the city as a playground rather than a battleground. And in the dissertation, I tried to then draw down um, what are the different elements of seeing the city as a playground, Um, you know. Pause. That was done in 2007. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my motivations for doing that, um, quite frankly, Rick, was that uh, leadership foundations, like many um, strong movements, have a wonderful oral tradition. Um, and, you know, we're great storytellers. And, you know, we sit around and talk about when, you know, men were men and giants roamed the face of the earth. Mm-hmm. and, and uh, But at some point, you have to be disciplined enough to say, um, it's time to write this stuff down. So that, the dissertation was a was an attempt to do that. Um, when all of a sudden we decided that a book, um, you know, was in order, um, and you get to those very practical questions of what will we call it? You know, what might yeah. be the title of the book? Um, it was actually Reed Carpenter, uh, my pres predecessor who I was most happy, um, stepped in and said, well, you know, Dave's dissertation, I, I think that nailed it. And, yeah. um, you know, he threw it out, and given that he's been the pioneer of this movement, it, w- it was adopted pretty quickly. And so, um, yeah, there is a dissertation that sits behind this. This book, you know, has much more to do with kind of the narrative. The uh, you know how yeah. did how did Sam and Reed meet, and you know what took place in Pittsburgh, and you know what's happening in cities around the world, and and all of that kind. Of.
0: Well it, it reminded me because I was in a class the other day and, and they were talking about axiology, which I didn't you know have to look it up you know mm. just, And in axiology, I guess all of us have one. It's called a value theory. It's like all of us have theories about what we think are valuable and you know and explains our behavior. Mm. And so what I thought about when I when I you know, realized the book, you know the history of leadership foundations with your dissertation is like a historical you know helpful historical, Kind of roadmap you can you can look at, but I think the dissertation for me adds that the value theory. And you know how it is if you have something that's only theoretical, then you think, well, it's a good idea, but like, has anybody ever done it? You know. And then also (laughs) if you have only something that's only historical, you can think, well, that's that's great, but like, what are the values that you know that drive this behavior? And so I think that that's what's the the beauty of the combination. It's Mm -hmm. like, yeah, this is what happened in the last fifty years. These are all the locations. This. This is the expression of God's work in the cities. But then I appreciate you adding, you know, and, and these are this is our axiology. This mm. is our value theory. This is why we think this way. And if you know this, then when you see us do something, you can explain it. Like, I know why they're doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I think mm-hmm. it's really helpful.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's, again, thank you for that. I, I wish I could say that. Yeah, that's exactly what I was trying to do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, too bad. You did it. <laughs> You're stuck with it.
1: I mean, it, it sounds like if I was able to get up and say, you know, what really drove this chapter was my axiology. Yeah. I mean, people would just be. They'd give you, you, know, you the axiology. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it.
0: No, you, you know, I mean, I didn't know what it meant, but the more right. it was explained to me, the more I said, well, hey, uh, I I can appreciate that, you know, because I, I sometimes I see human behavior and I'm mystified by it until somebody explains either you know, like you said, the local context or, uh, you know, the what they're doing mm-hmm. and uh and and the reason they're doing it is because it's valuable to them so mm-hmm. i think that's what's great and that's where we're you know we're already seeing even in our first couple discussions the the idea of uh you know the space and the idea of uh, you know the time you know mm-hmm. those are those are all uh, really mm-hmm. valuable mm-hmm. you know, backdrops so so take us through the chapter kind of how it goes yeah well the other out. thing
1: before uh, we even get to the chapters um I would want to make a comment because um, this has a bit of a story as well. Um I you know I have, I'm not an author. This is this is the first book and yeah, well, uh too so, bad you are now. <laughs> so I didn't know anything um and and published next and our our, edit, our our publisher um Randy Kukok, was was just great but it was a little bit like you know we were absolute neophytes and he's grabbed us by the hand and is just walking around you know us through the process and it's like okay and now you I mean he had to slow it down that much so at one point it's like what about the cover um and he's oh well you know we'll produce the artwork and and um so he sent uh three or four initial covers around the idea of Sidious Playground and again we're sitting looking at them and thinking well it looks yeah it looks great And, Mm -hmm. and uh my uh, my colleague Scott Lewis um, said, You know, would you mind if my son um, sort of took a stab at this? Mm-hmm. Now, the sub subtext to uh, Scott Lewis's son, uh, Scott, who's the uh, chief operating officer for Leadership Foundations, is that his son is Ryan Lewis of uh, Macklemore and Ryan Who Lewis. Who is on the... Jimmy Fallon this
0: week? Really? Yeah. Okay. <laughs>
1: So I did not know this about Ryan. I, I, I know Ryan, but um, he is a, a bit of a uh, kind of font design um, geek. Yeah. And so he grabbed uh, the initial cover designs we had, and, and Scott said, would you take a look at this? And um, as I understand it, Ryan said, now if you want a guy like me to pick this book up, uh, it's going to just have to have a little bit of more juice to it. Mm-hmm. And so Ryan, you know, spent a few hours and and came up with some ideas. So it's his idea um, that that sits at at the base of this this cover. And then it went back to the publisher. And then they, you know, finished it off with obviously the title and some things like that. So it's quite fun for me to... uh, um, be able to make the comment that um, at least a part of our cover was designed by a, uh, a hip hop guy and, <laughs> That's uh, right and so that's just the way who's leadership kind of, foundation's who is it, role. <laughs>
0: who's kind of a, a contemporary Michelangelo, really and the guy's amazing. yeah and I love even when you get the chance to see the cover, I love how um you know the the graphic insinuates that if you see the city as a playground, it's kind of a dark and down uh, you know mm-hmm. kind of a scene. and mm-hmm. then if you see it as a, a I mean, as a battleground, but as a playground up above, it's bright colors and I mean, everything's up. Exactly. And I think it's a brilliant design. that's
1: exactly right. And then the other, you know, the little subtitle, and this was important for us, is where we say it's, you know, title of cities, playgrounds or battlegrounds, but then it says Leadership Foundation's 50-Year Journey of Social and Spiritual Renewal. Yeah. And again, one of the things, Rick, that we we desperately wanted to do. is, is take the hubris out of, out of a book as, as if we discovered it, we have figured it out. Here's, here's the answer book to all of your questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and put it much more into a, a context that we're on a journey and we're still journeying. Um, it, you know, we've been walking, doing this thing for 50 years. We believe and hope it's gonna be another 50 years, but there's no, you know, there's no destination. Uh, and and one of the things that has really um, i think hamstrung a lot of urban ministry um throughout the world is is a number of groups churches denominations again it's not to point fingers here but claim a kind of artificial sort of touchdown dance like mm-hmm. you know we we did it and i I just don't think that's that's uh, biblically um, true, um, and I certainly don't think that there's sociological evidence. Right. Um, what we argue for is much more of you just got to get into your city and begin to journey. Um, and 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 our last chapter, which I'll talk about, but it really comes down to kind of you know neighborly grace, faithful presence, you mm-hmm. know, um, you know, setting up your tent and, and staying put. So. Yeah,
0: well, I, th- I I love that the idea of the journey because um, I think the you know, the, we're surrounded by the, the seven things to do, to f- the guidebook for this and that, you know, and it gets exactly. back to, by the way, I'll be bringing up Greek words for months now after I've been to Greece. But, <laughs> but there is that one word, which is techna which is, you know, where we get technology. But it's all about this technique or there's this, this you know, there's this one kind mm-hmm. of magic way to approach something. And I think I love how journey cuts, you know, cuts across that mm-hmm. uh, because mm-hmm. it's, it's not a, you know, it's not like a formulated thing. And when you get to formula, then you're talking transaction. So all of a sudden, you're, you know, and a lot of ministries are like that. Like, hey, what do we need to give you to get what we, you know, and it's transactional. And and, uh, so anyway, well done on the journey.
1: Yeah, thank you. And then the other, again, just a couple of prefaces I would make uh, before we jump into the meat of the book um, are the people who um, wrote, you know, sort of blurbs to say, you know, read this book. Um, Leadership foundations... um, one of the things that we hold near and dear um, is this idea that it really is the um, you know whole church with the whole gospel for the whole city. Um, and that's a, a Ray Bakiism. Mm-hmm. But whole church for us means that it's, you know Catholic, Orthodox, Pentecostal, high church, low church.
0: All the rooms in the same house. yeah, yeah.
1: absolutely. And, and, and if you're going to be serious about the city, it, it demands that you know everybody comes to the table and we believe that leadership foundations are uniquely gifted to set that table. Mm-hmm. So in the people writing the blurbs, you know we have you know people like uh, you know Ray Baki, who is a, uh, is an American Baptist pastor and, and, and really has been a, a leading leading voice with regard to, uh, urban theology and sociology, um, um, very, very important to the evangelical community. But then Chris Lowney um, on, I wouldn't say the other side of the street because, you know, that would kind of make yeah. it adversarial. At the other end of the house? Yeah, who uh, was a, uh, uh, a person who was a Jesuit in training for a number of years uh, ended up deciding that that wasn't his call. Um, became a, uh, an acquisitions and merger, you know, executive vice president for J.P. Morgan, um, and then ended up writing a book called Heroic Leadership, um, and I, I love this book. I, for all of our listeners, um, pick it up like yesterday, because what he does is he chronicles what he calls um, the um, heroic leadership, um, what a 450-year-old organization um, you know learned about sustainability or something like mm-hmm. that and it essentially just chronicles the Jesuits um, as an organization he also has just recently read a uh, written a book on uh, Pope Francis's leadership style hmm. but Chris has become a friend of the leadership foundations and uh, and he was delighted to to write a blurb and and then Bill Milliken um, you know John Perkins who is the you know is really the you know, grandfather of many of us with regard to anything that uh, would relate to, you know, urban ministry, working in solidarity with the poor, Betsy McCormick. So right from the very beginning, what we hoped to do, Rick, was to give anybody that would pick up the book and say, wow, that's quite uh, quite a breadth of, yeah. of different women and men who would all, you know, uh, say, read this book.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, and, I think that's great. I and, noticed when I opened my book, not signed. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll take care of that. All yeah, right, right.
1: Okay. Uh, and then the other the other uh, just thing at the beginning is the foreword. Um one of the very very important people <clears throat> I I think, you know, in this world, I mean, given the way he has lived his life, but again, particularly to leadership foundations is uh Dr. Wilson uh well, the Reverend Dr. Wilson Good. Um mm-hmm. and Wilson uh, in the midst of many things, was a, a two-term mayor of Philadelphia. Um, he started the Amachi program, which is uh, the largest mentoring of children um, of prisoners of children of prisoners. Um, uh, but he was also the board chair of Leadership Foundations, oh, wow. um, and he wrote the foreword. Um, really, as a what I would call elder statesman, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, someone that gets asked to just kind of get around and pontificate on, you know, how do you, how do you make a city better? And I think the book, if nothing else, um, is worth its price simply to read, uh, you know, this very, very important man um, who has reflected, you know, now 75, 76 years old and looks back over his shoulder and says, this is why I think leadership foundations and the kind of work they do is, you know, is important to, to think about so yeah
0: well i mean it, it's often been said if, if you don't have time to read a book read the forward. you know mm-hmm, i mean mm-hmm. so, uh, so certainly i think once you get going you'll we'll, you know now, go past that now the
1: other thing i would say is that it's also worth the price because in the acknowledgments your name comes up and i, I just yeah yeah so i think i'll this, sign yours
0: too <laughs>
1: <laughs> we'll, we'll double sign yeah
0: <laughs> Like every good organization, we require two signatures for the important documents. Uh, but now, uh, tell me how the chapters lay out.
1: Yeah, so there's six chapters. Um, the uh, uh, again, it's prefaced by. Uh, there's an introduction. Um, again, without giving away the book, because you know, of course, I don't yeah, wanna, no. you know, it I want. Yeah, no, it could be like that. an audio
0: book if we do that.
1: <laughs> but in the introduction, um, we uh, we do try to lift up this idea. Um, that uh, Stanley Hauerwas, and we talked about this I think in episode one um, where he um, you know essentially asked the question true or false um, you can only act within the world in which you see and howawass's answer is is that it's true mm-hmm. um, and so being able to act better bigger broader um, uh, has little to do with exerting your will and has more to do with are you just seeing in clearer ways. Mm-hmm. And so in that, we, we try to you know, lift that up and say that this book is, is fundamentally about um, you know, uh, enlarging one's eyesight in yeah. uh, the hopes that you know, as you grab a hold of something like a metaphor of, you know, wow, could the city be a playground, that the consequence of that is that you're actually going to go back out into the streets, or encounter your neighbor, or uh, go to your local grocery store, and, uh, and and act a bit different. Yeah, and then the six chapters just um, are, are pretty simple. The first is uh, what we call a city famous for God, and this is the the specific history to Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Um, Reed's encounter with Sam. Um, I think people will enjoy it. Um, Sam was quite a character. Um, there would be no leadership foundations today if it wasn't for Sam Shoemaker, this Episcopalian priest who, um, interestingly enough, um, I mean, did some very big, famous things. I mean, uh, was along with the Jesuit the uh, inspiration behind and the theology behind the AA movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was on the cover of Time magazine um, with regard to you know the Oxford movement, and I mean. But, uh, he never wrote, and he wrote 32 books along the way, but he never wrote anything specifically about urban ministry. Um, and yet, it's that statement, um, you know, a city as famous for God as it currently is for steel, that was, was the, you know, actually in the book we call it, it was the match, you know, mm-hmm. that, that lit, particularly in Reed, uh, this fire that is now the leadership foundations in 72 cities throughout the world. And then we also try to talk about some of the fathers, uh, the grandfathers and grandmothers whose shoulders we stand on. Um, and here we talk about uh, uh, Dr. You know Raymond who um, mm-hmm. who is very important, Dr. John Perkins, um, Jim Rayburn um, and Young Life. Mm-hmm. Um, again, we could have a conversation about any one of these men uh you know uh, Nancy Chalfant, uh, Doris Hillman, um, Sister Catholic nun, Sister Gertrude. Um, all, all of these women and men, in their own you know kind of way, um, particularly with Reed, um, you know had a relationship with him, or he was impacted by them, and and they became um, yeah the pillars by mm-hmm. which the Leadership Foundation was was birthed. So that's what we try to capture in Chapter One. Chapter Two is just to lift up the reality of the city, uh, that we're, you know, we're in a world now that is more urban than suburban, that whatever else the 21st century is going to be, and it could be many things, most of which we don't know, uh, it will be fundamentally and characteristically an urban place yeah. um, where, where people will live in cities. Um, and so we capture that, try to lift up what some of the issues are um that we face and that if we don't um engage them i think in creative meaningful imaginative ways uh then we're we're not going to do well Uh, Mm -hmm. but if we can engage those issues then cities can actually become what i think the book of revelation ultimately promises um you know uh the the city of god um, Mm -hmm. a place where life can flourish um in the third we talk about um, just what is a leadership foundation. Um, so if you walk into a place like Delhi or Dallas, um, knowing that um, these cities are very different, uh, they're living, breathing organisms, and as such uh, should have um, a different programmatic expression, there is a kind of basic DNA. And, uh, and so we talk about that in terms of its vision, the mission, the values, um, and then the the model of, of transformation of which leadership foundations use across the world. Um, in all that chapter, what I also am very proud about is that we uh, use local leadership foundations who are actually doing it mm-hmm. right now. I mean, you know, boots on the ground yeah. to illustrate how these values, how this mission, how this vision is is, is coming to, to birth. Uh, the fourth chapter is about two leadership foundations, Uh, we call it the Long Obedience, um, and it's the Leadership Foundation in Pretoria. Um, It's called the Deshwani Leadership Foundation. Um, It actually had its start, if you can believe this, before Apartheid fell, um, led by uh, Dr. Stefan de Beer and his wife Vilna, and then the Leadership Foundation in Memphis, uh, and Larry Lloyd and um, Howard Eddings. And both have stood the test of time and again part of what we're really trying to argue for here um, is what we call a theology of place Um, if you're going to make any substantive change in a city it's going to be a result of just staying at it um having at it you know um, failing you know and then getting back up and falling down again Mm -hmm. and both these cities uh, have done that in some wonderful ways i was
0: just thinking about um the schwanni leadership foundation which you've been to yeah, because yeah. I, w- I was th- th- there was an announcement today that uh, World Cup in ten days, and of course th- they hosted you know and uh, and uh, they had the park all set up as mm-hmm. a you know a, a mm-hmm. global change venue. It was mm-hmm. really remarkable, and so just to even see the the physical uh, uh, environment there, yeah, th- the way the buildings. Faced each other to, yeah. to be able to to uh, to see how thought out the idea of community was, e- even in terms of how people cross paths, is r- very impressive and and so, and what a great story to tell.
1: Yeah. And one of the things about this podcast that I know you and I are, are very committed to is that in both Chapter Three and Chapter Four, where we're, we've got you know Stefan and Larry and Howard and Will, and um, that these will be our our future guests to yeah. this podcast that we'll interview and. Um, talk with and, and, you know, hear about, about their story. Uh, chapter five then is just the global movement. Um, it's, it's you know, who are we in these 72 cities around the world and how do we encourage one another, you know, stay committed to one another? What is the central office, of which I'm responsible for, do on behalf of these local leadership foundations? And then the last chapter is just simply um, how A woman or man sitting out there right now that grabs a book and has maybe said yeah I've always wanted to do something in my city um, how they might be able to be engaged Mm -hmm. and that chapter again it's important for me to stress it's not trying to sell leadership foundations Um, you you know it it lists leadership foundations up I think as a model but there are other models out there and uh, and so what leadership foundations ultimately want to do is be able to engage, uh, you know, denominations and churches and individuals and say, let's have a conversation. Um, and here you are, you know, in your city. Is is there something God might have you do? And uh, and if Leadership Foundations can be of help, um, we, we would love to do that. Mm-hmm. And then we, finally, at the very end of that, that chapter, um, and, uh, you know, maybe you and I can even read it to do a little read aloud, but... There's there's a, a couple pieces that I particularly one from G.K. Chesterton who we talked about on episode two, mm-hmm. who was the ultimate inspiration behind city as playground because he was the one that again quoted you know that that heaven is a playground, uh, but he's got a wonderful piece around uh, how cities become great, and uh, and so you that up, became a— you
0: can read it in a second oh, yeah because I, I, well, to me I, I was just thinking about to tie uh, our um, Present conversation into, into our past conversations, the that we were on uh, the whole topic of seeing the city, and I think about the fact that um, you know we only see what we see. I mean, if we look around right now, we can you know, we take in what we can see. But then, if you think about uh, the invention or the introduction or the emergence of a telescope and a microscope, and suddenly the world's a whole different place. Yep. And I think that what um, really what this book does is it helps me take a really close look, you know, a microscopic look at, you know, what, what's gone on. But also, like you said, towards these last chapters, it starts getting telescopic, you know, mm-hmm. and it really does kind of help me see further than this. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think, I think mm-hmm. that's a uh, way to go, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I actually not to, you know consider this um like right there next to the bible or anything you know cause there's already uh, in a lot of hotels there's there's a couple other books with the bible trying to make friends but i would say that you know and i think people would understand when i'm saying this you know as a pastor i'm not um you know um advising that you know we've had some new revelation here that we need to you know have a council in nicaea include this in the canon but i think what we but it's true that um I feel like that the, the superintending of the Holy Spirit is uh, a big part of you know your effort in putting this together and the collective effort of people that have helped because when you when you see a, a project that that ends up like this and then we make these observations and we realize quite honestly that wasn't necessarily something we had you know on paper but this is what happened I think that you can say wow you know thanks God mm-hmm. you know for being present. Mm-hmm. And of course, we all believe that. But sometimes, uh, when it's in black and white, and you know, it has pages, you you know, you can see it.
1: I think I think that's right. And <clears throat> what I've you know said to people so far already about the book that I'm probably most proud of. There's a there's going to your uh, your vacation, Rick. There's a ancient poet back. You know, I mean. 400 BC or something like that and I never pronounce his name right but he had this wonderful little line where he says um, foxes uh, engage little ideas the hedgehog engages one big idea and I think that that's what this book does I mean I don't know if it's a you know I don't want to put myself up there with others but I, I think it lists up one big idea mm mm-hmm. you know the city could the city possibly be the playground of God's spirit? Now, here we talk about a whole lot of other things for 182 pages, but but that central idea, that that hedgehog idea, um, and I, I hope that that sort of sits in people's laps and and that they can begin to think about it and you know begin to drive their car down the street and go, you know, I've never thought. Uh, about that, mm-hmm. but, but what would that mean? And what would that mean about, you know, I live across the street from that? You know apartment complex That I've always been a little bit afraid of mm-hmm. um, You know the grocery store down the street that I You know go in there, but I never talk to the clerk. I you know, I keep my head down I, What would happen if if it's a playground if I lifted my head and begin to actually learn people's names? I mean yeah so that's yeah that's the idea
0: that's great yeah now uh, let's finish with uh, a reading it's always great when the author reads because then when you read the book you kind of hear your voice <laughs> so this is kind of well here
1: here uh so i'm going to actually read two sections one is uh something i wrote um because i think it gives some context um and then i'm going to read chesterton um in the, in the very last chapter, um, one of the things that we try to pick up is that, um, and it's yeah, page 130, but that um, each gospel has a uh, commission. Um, and what's, of course, been interesting is that if you sit with a group of people and you say, you know, commissions, they go, oh, well, yeah, I mean, Matthew 28, the great commission, mm-hmm. you know, go out and make disciples and Um, And, and, you know, we might maybe think that there's this commission, um, you know, in Mark, you know, go out and preach to all creation. Um, Maybe there's a comment um, with regard to um, Luke and and all that. But hardly anyone ever uh, mentions the commission um, that appears in the Book of John. And yet I would argue that it's the Book of John's commission that is probably most relevant for our 21st century reality. And um, one of the things that I think makes it real is that the commission comes to a group of people who have locked themselves inside a room because they're afraid. Mm-hmm. And Jesus comes through the locked doors um, and then blows you know his breath on them and says, you know, peace be with you. And then says this famously, uh, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. Mm -hmm. But he doesn't qualify it by saying to make disciples, to preach the gospel, to build a program. There's almost a sense in which the commission in John is, go be. Mm -hmm. If you happen to be a pastor, be it. If you happen to be a businesswoman, be it. If you happen to be a teacher of kids who are mentally and emotionally disturbed, be it. In other words, the, the... uh, the commission of John um, essentially says everything is sacred mm-hmm. uh, because I have blown my breath into you now just go out and be me mm-hmm. just like the father did so so that we try to bring that out as, as maybe the the 21st century postmodern urban commission um, and so in the center of that then of course is, is Jesus himself and mm-hmm. so I'll I'll read this about Jesus His comments and actions seem, at first glance, to make things more opaque than clear. He indicates that to live you must die, to lead you must serve. The price of one is as valuable as the price of many. He spends two whole days with a woman of no consequence and little time with a man of great consequence. He engages his disciples in the same way. His betrayer, whose betrayal he has foreknowledge of, he holds close and the one he decides to build the church around he famously labels Satan. He heals where there is no faith and he heals where there is faith. He behaves so recklessly that he is described as a drunkard and yet says that not one jot or tittle would be left unfulfilled of the law that would appear to exist to prevent such recklessness. In his orbit women are championed, children are esteemed, Those marginalized are described as referent points for the kingdom of God, and scandals become gateways to salvation. This figure whom the New Testament pivots around is always knowable and yet resists definition, always approachable yet defies familiarity, always healing but refuses to gloss over our deepest infidelities, enters into the particularity of life without ever displacing it, and engages battles of the most intense kind without living in rivalry. It is with the literature of the New Testament and with this figure that we enter into a world where, for the honest student, we are enveloped in a journey of untold realities that are breathtaking while comforting, upending while consoling, leveling while elevating, in a word, a world of mercy.
0: Wow. I, I've never heard that that is great, I think one of the things i I'd recommend is to uh like you taught me this to slow down the text mm-hmm. you know it's, sometimes we read try to read too much, but mm-hmm. I think that it's great to just take a few sentences at a time and really you know kind mm-hmm. of think about those but yeah
1: yeah and so so when i when I wrote that, it was really you know reflecting and and trying to make uh clear i think in this book that when you get you know underneath the hood and you say okay well what what is the modus operandi of leadership foundations and you know they man they're out there. this is not my mother's christianity mm-hmm. you know kind of a thing that that hopefully that statement um, declares redeclares declares that leadership foundations um, are a jesus movement absolutely but we think that jesus actually moves us to open our hands rather than close it mm-hmm. um, and i think you know, the best way to describe that is mercy. So that little reflection right there, Rick, then I think you go to page 136. Um, and here is the, you know, for me, this, this particular reading, I came across it. It's in a book called Orthodoxy Mm -hmm. uh, by Chesterton. He, um, Chesterton was a remarkable soul. Um, I mean, we could, again, have another podcast just on G.K. Chesterton, all yeah. 420 pounds of him. Um, he was a journalist on Fleet Street, um, died in 1933. Um, you know, friends with George Bernard Shaw and Ruyard Kipling and, you know, I mean, you know, Adolf Huxley, I just, I mean, the list goes on. But a real defender um, of, uh, you know, christianity he was a catholic man but specifically um loved cities Mm -hmm. and and loved london and and so he writes this piece um around um two cities pimlico and uh, and Chelsea. i do go into the book and explain a little bit and for our readers who would be unfamiliar with those cities at that time chesterton um wrote uh you know Chelsea might be uh the way that uh you know, a city that's seen a lot of urban renewal, it would think about itself, the arts are flourishing, you know, people feel safe downtown, there's condominiums, there's, you know, every night you go out, there's a festivity, uh, and Pimlico um, is a city that, that maybe um, feels or was a little bit the way that Detroit, you know, feels, mm-hmm. um, you know, East St. Louis, I know the city that you and I here live in, Tacoma, has felt um, Pimlico-ish. And so it's with that uh, in mind, and then I ask people to just place their city um, in as, as kind of a prayer. And so here's what Chesterton says. Let us suppose we are confronted with a desperate thing. Say Pimlico. If we think what is really best for Pimlico we shall find the thread of thought leads to the throne or the mystic and the arbitrary. It is not enough for a man or a woman to disapprove of Pimlico. In that case, he or she will merely cut their throat or move to Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, we've seen a lot of people do that. Yeah, yeah. Nor certainly is it enough for a man or a woman to approve of Pimlico. For then it will remain Pimlico, which would be awful. The only way out of it seems to be for somebody to love Pimlico. To love it with a transcendental transcendental tie and without any earthly reason. If there arose a man or woman who loved Pimlico, then Pimlico would rise into ivory towers and golden pinnacles. Mm. Pimlico would attire herself as a woman does when she is loved, for decoration is not given to hide horrible things, but to decorate things already adorable. A mother does not give her child a blue bow because he is so ugly without it. A lover does not give a girl a necklace to hide her neck. If men and women loved Pimlico as mothers love children, arbitrarily, because it is theirs. Pimlico in a year or two might be fairer than Florence. Some readers will say that this is mere fantasy. I answer that it is the actual history of humankind. This, as a fact, is how cities did grow great. Go back to the darkest roots of civilization and you will find them knotted around some sacred stone or encircling some sacred well. People first paid honor to a spot and afterwards gained glory for it. Men and women did not love Rome because she was great. She was great because they loved her. Isn't that breathtaking? That is,
0: oh yeah. I mean, it's just, it's it's totally, it's kind of gutsy too to read yourself before Chesterton. (laughs)
1: Well, I had to get myself out of the way.
0: <laughs> no, but I mean, <laughs> with the that exclamation really is, mark! Is. fantastic. I mean, it's so true too, because uh. you know, especially I recognize uh, the response to the first two options so so readily. Like you said, if somebody just says, "Well, we'll move out of here," or else we'll just live here and, and not do anything, just detest it. That's you right. Know? And uh, so I think, uh, I think that. Uh, I mean, really is, is what the work of the leadership foundations is about is to stir up that love and to, you know, and I know just for me, okay, just one guy, uh, that, that I have experienced that, Mm. you know, because of my, you know, uh, chance to just cross paths with leadership foundation. I mean, I have actually, I think this particular city, this Pimlico, this, you know, the city of Tacoma has been Mm -hmm. given to me as like a gift. Mm. Like, I mean, I ate lunch today you know, on the hilltop, which is the dreaded, you know, hilltop or whatever. And, uh, you know, it used to be, I mean, that actual phrase would, you know, meant, you know, you're going to die. Mm-hmm. You know, because there was always mm-hmm. a lot of violence in, in certain parts of town. Mm-hmm. But those, those parts of town are actually incredible, you know, and the people Absolutely. are amazing. And so I think that, um, you know, how we see it, and it really does. Uh, it gives us this gift of space where, you know, we're, we're living our lives in some little box and all of a sudden, you know, we realized, hey, you know, the world is is available, you know, to yeah. explore and yeah. discover. And uh, so, yeah. Wow. What a great, I mean, I'm on the podcast and I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, let's get to signing these books. Anything else you want to say?
1: No, I, I think that, um, yeah, I mean, maybe, you know, final comments about the book. It's, uh, I, I've told people that. When I die, um, and at my funeral, Rick, I think, for example, you're going to outlive me, um, I I want you to stand up and say he was actually supposed to live another six years, but there were two forces that took those six years from him. The first is you point to my three boys. Um, Yeah, (laughs) they they absolutely. But the second is this book. It was uh, because um, I was not... um, nor should I be, because I think a book like this should not be written by one person, but by multiple authors. Um, You know, I I had the heaviest pen. But then uh, in that, um, that it it really was, um, I think, a labor of love, and that we we really do pray and hope that, um, you know, people can just grab this thing and and make use of it, um, you know, however they would see fit, whether it might be in their you know, churches, for a, a Sunday school class. I mean, we tried to make it very accessible and, and surface some big ideas, whether it might be used as a book, you know, in a an urban, uh, you know, seminary class. Mm-hmm. Um, but going back to your idea of Agora, I mean, it, it's, yeah, it's it's a public square kind of book. And then I think the second thing is uh, for those readers um, who are hearing about this and, and maybe find themselves intrigued... Um, you know, we would love for them to, to let us know, um, you know, was it helpful? Um, mm-hmm. was, it, was it something that encouraged them? And, and, and if so, we would love to have more conversation with them about ways that uh, we can uh, continue to be helpful to them, so.
0: Well, great, so stay in touch with us, uh, leadershipfoundations.org. Also, you can click on this podcast and subscribe or, uh, or communicate to us. The book's also available on Amazon. And uh, there's a link to the Seattle Bookstore, Seattle. Through our, yeah, through the website. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Cities, Playground or Battleground. David C. Hillis as the author. He's going to sign my book right now. Okay. (laughs) Till next time, this is Rick Enlow signing off. Dave Hillis. See you.